that I'd like to share with you some reflections about navigating a particular mind state, namely this mind state of anger. And when I say anger, I, I'm using this in a broad manner. I'm, I'm talking about that whole range of states of mind that you might have experienced already on this retreat, from subtle irritation to annoyance to frustration to anger or even rage. How do we skillfully navigate that, 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 uh, that quality that can come up in this predicament of being a human being? And where I'd like to begin is to share with you an image that the Buddha gives around this uh, from the Dhammapada in this chapter on anger. And there's this analogy. He says, the one who skillfully navigates anger as it arises is like one who skillfully navigates the careening chariot. And it is this person that I call a charioteer. And the others are just holding the reins. I appreciate that vision that, that to, to gain skill in this realm, this realm of this kind of energetic quality of anger is like that charioteer. There's, there's a power to that quality of mind state that you've probably noticed or that emotion. There's such a force there, like the horses pulling a charioteer. And it takes that skill, that art of being able to, to navigate that force. But you can't completely control those horses. But there is a way of skillfully steering that energy in a particular way. And it's so different than merely holding the reins and being a victim to that force that can visit us. And I want to point out, in this realm that we're here together in, this retreat, where you know, maybe many of you might have this aspiration to free the heart what an important quality to, to come to terms with, to come to relate to in a different way, to gain the skill like a charioteer. And I want to point out, I, I know all of you know this, you know, the, 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 the destructive force that anger, anger has had in our society, when you think of thousands of years of history, of, of human beings, the, the kind of destructive force this, this one quality of mind has. And even as I'm speaking right now, the destructive force that, that arises out of that quality of mind. And I'm sure you know like I do, the, the visceral experience of this, what it's like when you've acted out of anger and hurt someone, it's painful. And the other side of, of that experience of receiving anger and the pain and hurt and damage it can cause. I think it's important to remember this. It, to me, it fuels my interest in really investigating and, and, and cultivating a different relationship 
to this quality of mind that can arise. And probably here on retreat, right? You probably, probably have these experiences of these flavors. That irritation towards another yogi or the annoyance, maybe at a staff member or to ourselves. Have you, have you noticed the kind of the, the poisonous quality when we get angry at ourselves? And then that other quality that can create such a whirlpool. Those people that you've brought on retreat that aren't really on retreat. <laughs> Isn't it a drag that they've kind of snuck into the retreat? You're pissed at them, you're irritated with them. I'm going to tell them this and that. I'm not even here. There it is. There's, there's that heart that's hooked. And maybe there's maybe just one or two that have, haven't even experienced any annoyance or irritation the entire retreat. But now you're going to have a whole 45 minutes or an hour about irritation and anger. So welcome to the crew. In some way, we're, we're all in this together. Yeah, so how to navigate it. And I'll say it's tricky. It's, I, I actually find this topic to be very complex. It's actually not so simple. And I think one of the reasons is, is, is I would say that the energy of anger, this is where language gets a little bit tricky, the energy of anger, maybe not anger itself, I'm using anger as, a, as, as an unskillful quality of mind, that energy allows us to have clear boundaries around other people, which can be really important in many situations. It can also fuel what I'd call a skillful outrage or that fierce compassion that's needed to address systems of harm such as racism or sexism. This is important. There is a place for this. Just as the Buddha says, it's important to praise that which deserves praise, but it's also important to dispraise that which deserves dispraise. Both are important. But to do this skillfully, it requires a different relationship to this energy, these qualities of mind that visit us. And given the kind of complexity that I'm presenting, I, I, I want to uh, frame or give just a little bit different description of freedom the freedom that comes from this practice. And I want to say there's many narratives, many stories, many images for this, and I, I think it's helpful to have many of these to give us different feeling senses of the direction of this path. Because the, as I've mentioned, I think, before, the awakening in early Buddhism was often described in very simple terms. It's a heart and mind that's free of greed, hatred, and delusion. And when, when something is defined as a kind of absence, it can leave us guessing. It doesn't really give us an image. It's kind of, well, if nothing, nothing's there, is awakening just being a dead corpse? What's the living embodiment of those absences? 
So I want to give a um, yeah a, a different view of this, and this comes from actually a, a classic uh, Zen text called the Blue Cliff Record in, in Japanese, the the Hekigan Roku. And there's uh, one story in there about really one of the the great Zen masters of the Chan tradition or the Zen tradition, Yunmen. And it's uh, this simple interchange that happens between a monk and the Zen master Yunmen. A, a monk comes and asks Yunmen, what are the teachings of a whole lifetime? What's the essence of these teachings? What's the, the, the full breadth of it? Or maybe in this frame, what is awakening? Yunmen gives the simple answer an appropriate response. A heart that is free is a heart that can respond appropriately. And when I speak about anger tonight, the way I'm using that word and maybe that whole range from irritation, annoyance to rage, is you could say the classic inappropriate response. We're just freeing the heart so we can respond appropriately to the world that we live in. That's freedom. I want to give an example of this that uh, a fellow practitioner shared with me just a few months ago. It was a, uh, yeah, a fellow practitioner and she had gone to the um, Women's March in Washington, D.C., she was, you know, she's marching along. She's an African-American woman and there's these two white guys with these signs on the side of the march. Super hateful signs. And as she sees these signs, she says, all she can really feel is how much they're suffering and their hatred. And her heart wells up with so much love. This is actually kind of crazy when she told me this. She had this impulse just to run towards them with her arms open to hug them. And as she's running towards them with her arms open, they actually drop their signs and open their arms. And she has this beautiful embrace with both of them. Just in the moment. You know, the, the power of the heart that can respond appropriately. And then... A number of months later, she was at a protest in, in the city that she lives in. And again, another young white guy with a really hateful sign and really, really spouting all these uh, uh, racist slurs. And then she was very stern and forcefully told him, listen, if this is the narrative, basically, if this is the story you're telling and this is what you're interested in, you need to leave my town. Basically, get out of here. There was a force there. Again, I would say another appropriate response. So hopefully here, appropriate responses is, is being able to have the kind of physiology that allows for this wide range of being able to, to skillfully be in this world. Many different skillful ways of responding to the world. So it's really cultivating the capacity to, for this, you could say, energetic quality underneath anger, to, to be with it in a, in a skillful way rather than an, uh, in terms of it, rather than it turning into a kind of unskillful reactivity.
as Mahatma Gandhi said, he said, I have learned through bitter experience the one lesson. To conserve my anger, and as heat conserved, is transmuted into energy. And even so, anger can be transmuted into a power which can move the world. Being the skillful charioteer, not just holding the reins, but being able to navigate the force of that moving through our heart and our body and our mind in a way, in a way that allows for an appropriate response. And I think that's the, the wonderful thing about being on long retreats. Something that I, I feel like just can't happen on a week-long retreat. The sense to really have the time to investigate, to be with these challenging states of mind again and again and again. Just the willingness to be in the mess of it, the chaos of it, and starting to get a sense of how do I relate to, how can I start to relate to this in a different way? To gain the skill of a charioteer. Because it takes that time, it takes the time and the patience to come back to these states of mind in various ways to learn the skill of the charioteer. And I think that's why this is so sacred this time that you have here. Just an encouragement to really make the best use of this time in light of this. So again, we have this theme of anger, the whole range, and this different vision of, of freedom, of it being to release the heart to free the heart so there can be an appropriate response. I'd like to share with you just some general comments about this, what I'm calling this range, this range of anger, irritation, annoyance, all the way to rage. Some general reflections on it and then some specifics about how to practice with it. I want to point out that many of us, I, mean, I don't know all of you, but I'm, so I'm guessing here, but many of us have a complicated or complex relationship to our emotions. And some of it is because how the heart and mind has been conditioned by society. There's a societal dynamic around this. I think this narrative of anger being unwholesome and destructive, it sometimes is wielded in unskillful ways in society that, that shapes the heart and mind. And one way we can see this is that, for example, for many people who are seen as women, and so I want to be really specific about this, so I'm, I'm, I'm very consciously using this binary system of men and women because so often in dominant society, that's how people are seen. So I'm not talking about how you situate yourself, but how you're seen. Because how we're seen often is how society shapes us. It, it confines us in all these, these uh, narrow boxes. And a lot of this is around gender and, and the constructs of, of the things that come with these, these narrow constructs of gender. Right? And, and often around being 
seen as a woman, you know, there's, there's space to either be seen as nice or kind, but if you're angry, right, immediately there's a derogatory description. This is, this is what's unfortunately handed to us from society. Okay to express fear or sadness in dominant society, but not anger. And then being seen as a man. It's okay, right, to show expressions of anger. It's amazing how easy it is so often for people who are seen as men to, to get away with angry expressions. But then there's a, a, a shadow side, there's a conditioning that comes with it, that, that it's not okay to show or acknowledge other emotions, such as fear or sadness. There's a, there's a straight jacket that can be put on so many of us by these, the, the, the construct of gender and what comes with it. And so this can play a role in terms of coming to terms, starting to really feel into these forces that move through us. I think an, another quality of, of anger is how seductive and mesmerizing it is. Have you noticed this? This is what I so appreciated about Susie's talk last night is it's, it really is a manifestation of Mara. How it, how it so easily blinds us. I'd like to share a story about this because again, I think this is a really important facet to, to become aware of. A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I were faced with a situation in which um, a minor, so some, uh, an individual who was under 18, had been hurt by a caregiver. And it was, for me, it was the perfect situation to feel righteous anger, right? It was just perfect. Someone, you know, who was in a position who should have been cared for, but wasn't being cared for, and then someone who should have been doing the caring who wasn't. Maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes these conditions come that can make, make anger feel so right. And I want to say, when I was in the midst of that, I just felt so crystal clear about the situation and how to deal with it. I was really right about it. <laughs> And I remember, because um, my wife and I were trying to navigate this together, and I was really clear with her about what we should do. And I'm so grateful for her, because she was basically like, back off, Brian. Which was really important. And you could say, I just want to point out, is in some ways she had that a little bit of that clear boundary that comes from that energy. And it was an important reminder for me to reflect what's going on in this state of mind here. Because what was within the state of mind, even though it might have not looked at it from the, the outside, is, is it was all based on this shouldn't be happening. And then sometimes what comes with that is, a, is an impulse to destroy the quote-unquote perpetrator. Because it feels like the right thing to do, especially from anger. Might have not looked at it from outside, but I could feel it in the heart when I slowed down. And I think what when I started to slow down and really bring the practice in, and I'll go over the details of this, 
then things could start to shift from this shouldn't be happening to actually this is what's happening. <laughs> this is the way it is. Like this is what's happened and this is, this is the way it is. Oh, okay, yeah. This is what happens in the world. Harm. Yep, here it is. Oh, so now what to do from there? And that was piercing the veil that Mara had put up. And again, we were taking very clear actions. We got got the law involved. There was legal actions. There was actually a lot of pressure put on the situation to make things come to uh, a, a place where there was some kind of of amelioration, a bettering of the situation. So it was still tense and conflictual, but the heart was different. So it wasn't like the heart got to a place where it just collapsed. There could be an appropriate response rather than an unskillful response. This is the direction, but it was so seductive. I felt so, so right. It's so important to question when there's that energy in the heart and mind. As I sometimes tell myself, Brian, do you want to be right or do you want to be free? It's something to reflect on. What's important in your life? To be right or actually to be free? So how to navigate this on retreat? When this comes up, the, really, the, then I want to see if I could speak to the whole range here to really cultivate a, a more skillful relationship with it. And I'd like to frame it by uh, giving another image, the image that will come through this story as a way of maybe to keep in contact with how to navigate these such a difficult state of mind, which I want to say you can probably apply to other difficult emotions that m- may be arising, at least some of them. And it's a Taoist story. And to remember in Taoist stories, at least in some of them, when Confucius is in these stories, he doesn't come out looking so well. So it's one of these stories. So here's Confucius. And he's, not only here's Confucius, but he's there with all of his students at this huge river. Massive river. And they're right next to the river as it begins to transition into this waterfall. That said that that's 350 feet high. So massive waterfall, massive water going over this very, very high water, uh, 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 very, very high drop. And as they're standing there, there's a woman that they see in the river heading towards the waterfall. You know, right in the water. And through panic and alarm, Confucius sends his students to to travel down to the bottom of the waterfall to see if they could be there to help the woman going through, you know, over the waterfall. But by the time they get down there, the the, the woman is already kind of out of the water and dried herself off and kind of singing. And Confucius gets down there. He's really quite surprised about this. And when he comes up to her, he says, you know, I thought you were some celestial being to be able to survive such a thing. But when I look at you, I see that you're just a human being. So please tell me, how how do you tread the water? How do you swim? How does this happen? 
And she says, I have no particular way. It became my nature to follow it, and now my success in it is as sure as fate. I enter and go down with the water in the very center of its whirl and come up again with it when it whirls the other way. I follow the way of the water, and I do nothing contrary to it of myself. This is how I swim. So how to somehow follow the force and the currents of, of this experience that's coursing through the mind and a body, yet in a way that you're not drowning, that you're not lost in it. That you're actually with it in a skillful way. How to do this? Just like that woman swimming over the waterfall. So I think one way, and, and I want to first by, uh, start by talking about these flavors of what I call anger more on the, the, the less intense side of the, the equation. So this isn't for the, the big stuff that you feel just completely overwhelmed with. It's just the, you know, the little irritations. Somebody cuts in front of, in front of you in the, in the food line, something like that. Ugh, that sound in the hall. Ooh. These kinds of things. <laughs> it's good to start with the small stuff. You know, the kind of the little annoyances or irritations. And what I find so helpful is to have this willingness to touch what I call the direct experience of it. So I want to be clear about this. It's like, it's like, it's like if you're in the water heading towards the, the, the waterfall, it's, it's really becoming intimate with the flow of water the details of it. So I want to give, a, again, another story around this to, to help exemplify what I mean by touching the direct experience around this. Kind of noticing the elements of, of such an experience. So a few years ago, I was on a um, month-long retreat and I was uh, following the eight precepts. And for me, when I'm on a long retreat and I'm following the eight precepts, it's usually uh, just the way my system works. The, the first, I don't know, three, four, five days, um, it takes a while for my system to get used to not eat, uh, eating after the, the noonday meal. And as a result of it, it was actually really cool. It was really interesting. So I'd go to breakfast, and before I'd eat, um, since there was so much anger, I would, I mean, so much... Um, hunger, I would look around and, and it would be like, it just felt like I was, the world was filled with irritating people. <laughs> it's like they're all over the place. They're walking around, they're clinking their spoons. It's like, oh my God, swallowing. <laughs> and then when I was finished with my breakfast, I mean, it was really so stark. I'd finish my breakfast and then there'd be a, a sense of fullness. And then it'd be like, all these lovely people all around me. I just feel like feeling the love. That's so great. And what I want to point out about this, so I want to point out this is important. 
that if I were to stop right here in my description, I have not shared with you touching the direct experience. Like hopefully some of you heard this this example of 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 um, how irritation arises and how it passes away as a bad example. So sometimes I like to give bad examples because they stick in your mind more. It's like, oh, Brian, you gave me a really bad example. Now I know what direct experience is like. It's such a bad example, right? It's probably the first thing that came to your mind. It's like, oh my God, you could feel the irritation. This is a bad example of direct experience. I know you were thinking that, right? The moment that I began to touch that experience was really quite different because the idea, I am hungry, is just an idea. It's just a thought that is pasted upon an experience. I'm not touching experience. That's kind of the, what I call when I'm involved in sort of kind of mindfulness. Touching experience is noticing, oh, there's an unpleasant sensations in the body right now. Oh, interesting, and it, it has kind of a gnawing, kind of aching feeling to it in the, kind of in the, in the torso here. That, that's the direct experience. That's very different than the, the concept, I am hungry. Might, or that idea might arise out of that, but I became intimate with it, like I was touching the flowing water when I could taste that. Oh yeah, this is the, this is the direct experience right now the nine aching, unpleasant sensations in the body. Oh, there it is. And this is why it's so wonderful to come to the body because when we come to the body, we touch direct experience. And then seeing around that unpleasantness, that unpleasant nine aching feeling, there was a version mixed in with it. There was, I don't like this. And then when there is a sense of really being with that, feeling that there could be the recognition of how it was actually coloring what I was seeing. Oh, this is the activity of perception and it's colored. It sees people in a particular way. That's direct experience. That was the important thing to really touch the component parts that were creating this unfolding of being, quote-unquote, irritated at other people. The construction of experience. This is what we want to touch. And I want to point out, it's so simple, this, this thing of, of touching direct experience. Like if you, you were to feel your hands right now, just the simple thing of feeling your hands. It's just noticing that the concept hand is so different than then sensing in a little bit more to feel the warmth there. Either there's a dryness or a moistness there. You might even feel like a subtle vibration or a, or a relaxation there in the hands. But all of those details are so different than the concept hand. This is, this is the world we're wanting to, to enter with mindfulness. This is really beginning to swim in these waters to really feel that water, the flow of the river. And I want to point out, we can do the same thing when, when we're hooked by that story that we're so irritated by. What's going on there? Oh, remembering is happening. Oh, and in the remembering, there might be particular images or words. 
oh, and it's unpleasant and there's a kind of aversion there. Or sometimes what I find in there is, is a wanting. I'm wanting to tell that person something. I'm wanting to find a resolution to that memory or the remembering that's happening. Oh, and then there's the bracing of feeling that in the body. It feels like this. Here's the, the body sense in that way. Because it's direct experience that's going to cultivate your capacity to be with this, this force that moves through the mind and body. And it's also going to be the gateway into seeing clearly. So what can help contacting direct experience? And remember, I, 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 know, I, I know I say this often, but it's good to remember. I, I, I'm just giving you the cliff notes here. It's so messy. Do you know what the cliff notes are? I don't know if, remember for some of you, you had that novel you had to read in high school, War and Peace or some Shakespeare play, and you're like, I am not going to read that. And then you get that little booklet. The cliff notes were the little booklet that just had the kind of synopsis of the, of the novel so you could go into class and act like you actually read the whole thing. <laughs> but it's really not. It's like just a small little version. So please remember, whenever I give a Dharma talk, I'm just giving you the the cliff notes. There's a whole like, you know, chaotic novel that you're having to traverse in there. So direct, uh, touching the direct experience around this whole range of, of flavor, anger, annoyance, irritation. And one of the big skills is to um, separate the emotion from the object of it. So if I'm angry at someone or something or even myself, it's the curiosity of the emotion itself and dropping what the object is. Or another way is, is it's the skill in dropping the story. And this is where I find it's really helpful to label anger or irritation or annoyance. Because then what's, what's the associative link that I started to create in my mind is when I say that word, irritation, it's like, oh, cool, let me check out what irritation feels like in and of itself. Oh, what's this like? Oh, it feels like this. Interesting. Because being lost in the story is like drowning. Have you noticed that? That's the act of drowning. We're looking to swim, not to drown. And yeah, it's going to be messy. It might be just, you might just get a few moments of stepping out of the story and feeling into the, the emotional quality, the tightness or the, the gnawing or aching feeling, and then the mind gets lost in the story again. You bring it back, gets lost in the story, you bring it back. This is why I find the bodily experience is so helpful for this. It gives me a place to go to, to sense into this. But it's an important skill to notice the story and then become curious. Oh, how does it feel in the body? And you can become aware of the story itself in terms of images and talk. So I was talking, talking about, you know, the previous morning. So that's stepping out of the story and being aware of kind of all these different flavors here, especially in terms of the body. And it can be helpful, as I said, to label the emotion. Because it, it can broaden our sense of the emotional world that we live in. I think maybe this is part of 
my conditioning as being seen as a as a guy is how that narrowed my emotional world and so so helpful to come into the practice to really see the nuance of being an emotional being and i remember you know at times of noticing uh, that there were times where i was actually missing emotion i remember this this many years ago having this i was i think it was on some retreat and i was able to kind of label things like um planning or figuring out or remembering but it seemed like it always had this similar flavor to it and then there was the day where it just be like oh that's irritation interesting this is the feeling of irritation that's underneath these thought patterns oh and it was so helpful it was like a claiming this aspect of being a human being and the labeling it was really helpful so just a curiosity around the emotional quality especially around thought And to remember when there's a contacting, and again, this is more on the, not the super intense side, but when it's just kind of percolating through in maybe less intense ways, to remember you don't have to do anything about any of this. It's rather just being with the experience. That's what cultivates the capacity, is being with it in this present way, even when it's messy. Just the willingness to do that. and and to be aware and i also I, and I, I know that you know now that all this is going to stick but i want to name some of these things maybe you know it might come back later on in this, this retreat or another retreat is that sometimes when i'm sensing into the body what can also start to happen is there's subtle stories that start to happen around the sensations i'm feeling so for example i label irritation i feel a knot in my chest I feel the knot in my chest. And then there can be the thought of like, oh, here's my issue of anger. Here it is. And I need to move this knot because this is what the anger is. It's like stuck in my body right here. So what I want to point out is that that sensation of a knot in your chest, what, what that is, is it's a sensation of a knot in your chest. So this is really important because, because all these stories can start to stick around this primary experience of simply sensation, unpleasant sensation. And then what starts to happen is we start to try to do things with it. We have this, this image that what freedom is about is, is I can only be free if I don't feel this anymore. That's, that's just a story. <laughs> Probably been fully awakened beings that have had knots in their chest for most of their lives. The only difference is they're okay with it. <laughs> to them, it's just an unpleasant knot in their chest. <laughs> Not a big deal. So just to be aware of the stories around sensation. So it's like labeling anger, but in some ways then it's like even dropping the label of anger to feel the flow of sensation. Be careful of how you conceptualize the world of sensation because it can really confine the, the unfolding of this practice, the, the, the route to freedom.
So a few more things about sinking into the direct experience and, and the whole the whole fabric of of anger, irritation, annoyance. I'd like to share with you a quote that helps frame this next piece. It comes from James Baldwin. He says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so strong, stubbornly, or we could use the word anger in this, in this sentence. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their anger so stubbornly is because they sense once anger is gone, they will be forced to deal with the pain. Sometimes when we slow down with anger, there's, there's a whole reservoir of other feelings of pain or fear or sadness. So important to open. And the way that I open, which I, I find so helpful around this, is the importance of bringing in the heart. The heart is so important for this this process of, of moving into mindfulness. And in particular, self-compassion. Self-compassion I, I find to be an essential ingredient. In some ways I'm a, I'm a little reticent. I share this so much in my, my discussions with people that I know for those of you who have had meetings with me, you're gonna hear this so many times, I apologize. But I think it's so important is is the ability to bring self-compassion in and during these tough times around these flavors, especially when this gets intense. So this is also for the intense side of this. The way I practice self-compassion is again. This is my own training of how, what's helped me. Is is I boil it down to to one word. It's been boiled down to one word or to one phrase, and the one word, if I can remember it, is ouch. And what's implied in that, I sometimes use this phrase, this is difficult right now. I'm having a hard time right now. And I actually care about it. I really care about myself going through this. And I, I, wish, I wish for myself some freedom around this. It's such a powerful tool because it cuts through all the analyzing, the figuring out, the giving myself a hard time because I haven't figured out how to touch direct experience. It's just like, oh, this is tough. And then the heart softens. Because that's when I drowned is when I'm bracing. And when the heart softens, it's like this buoy, this buoy that happens that just lifts me up in the current of the stream. I don't even need to know how to swim. elevates me because it softens and opens the heart. Can you remember that? That sense of softening, self-compassion. And then it's often when I, that's when I touch the other flavors that are there, the fear or the wanting. So often with anger for me, I'm wanting to be in control. Like that situation I told you that that shouldn't be happening. I wanted to be in control of it. 
You ever notice that? I really want to find that control. The anger is seeking for that. Or sometimes you might have noticed with anger, it's because a boundary has been broken in my life and I really hurt and the pain is deep and I need to somehow feel into that in a compassionate way. So it's sometimes honoring the message of anger. Why you've been hurt and you're wanting a sense of safety and ease. So important to sense into these to these dimensions of irritation and annoyance and anger. I also want to point out that this is tricky to talk about but important, it's rare but important, which is that sometimes anger and irritation and annoyance are actually pleasant rather than unpleasant. So sometimes when I really, when I can drop the story some and I contact the bodily feeling, it feels really empowering. There's like a power that comes through the body that can be felt, that feels so good and alive filled with vitality. And it's tricky because sometimes when there's that pleasant feeling, people get a scared, of, a frightened of it because it's like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't savor this, this pleasantness because it's so destructive. I need to tamp it down. But if this happens, I really want to invite you, if it's pleasant, to savor it. To allow the body to be to, be, uh, to feel that vitality of that energy. Because sometimes that's, that's contacting what I'd call the energy underneath anger that can be incredibly healing and can bring a kind of stability and strength and boundariedness to our lives. And at the same time, please don't go looking for it. Don't go to your meetings. Damn it, it always feels unpleasant. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> Well, probably 99% of the time when you feel irritation and anger and annoyance, it will be unpleasant. Don't try to make it pleasant. <laughs> I'm just saying there's, there's a, a, sometimes these, these rare times where it can be that way. If it's that way, to allow it to be that way. And if on this retreat it never feels pleasant, it doesn't mean that your retreat is not going well. <laughs> it just means that you're having unpleasant sensations. <laughs> that's, that's the stories around sensations that the mind can create. So I, I also want to just briefly uh, touch into uh, the super intense times. before that just because I'm feeling it right now and I know this is just me but you know when I talk about this I was like I get so excited about this I'm like wow I just in some ways this is going to sound a little perverse I just hope all of you get a little irritated or annoyed at sometimes because it's so fascinating it's such a cool experiment to uh, to engage in you know I'm sitting up here when I say that but it really is <laughs> it's pretty cool so just a shout out for curiosity around it
Okay, super intense times. One uh, one place that I find that this can get really uh, sticky and intense and it can overwhelm uh, mindfulness really quite easily is when it's directed towards myself. Um, it's just, have you noticed, it really can have a tenacious stickiness to it, which is really quite challenging. So I just want to acknowledge that as I'm talking about these super intense times. And when I say super intense, it's those times where it just feels like it's just, you're just drowning in the story. You're just, you can't find a way out at all. You try to note it, it doesn't work. You try to feel the body, lost, and it just feels like it's consuming you. A few things that sometimes allow you to come up just for moments of air. You know, there are times on retreat where there's just going to be some drowning. Sometimes it's just the way it is. One, to know it will pass. To remember, this is an arising and a passing away. It's not something permanent. When I'm sitting in meditation, sometimes I'll open up my eyes and I'll look around. Like the ceiling can be really helpful for this, just to, to notice the details of the slats and the, and the different boards and the wood and the, and the coloration of the wood. And I'm trying to actually get the head and the neck moving a little bit, just to look around and come into the visual field and being present with the visual field. Just in order to bring in another sense experience that can be helpful just to modulate that a little bit. And then sometimes what I'll do after that is I'll come up, I'll feel the body a little bit around this intense emotion, then I might open my eyes again, and then I come in again. It's just to cut the experience a little bit. It's not in order to try to get rid of the experience or to get away from it. It's to help modulate the intensity. So I'm offering these, these instructions to you. So these are different ways in order to open up the space to be with these emotions. And similarly, sometimes when it's not super intense, but kind of intense, a lot of times what I contact first is a feeling of groundedness in the body. Because sometimes I put my attention on the feeling of groundedness and it like provides a container to feel some of like the anger, the annoyance, a little bit more in the background. So not directly paying attention to it, but having the attention on something that feels more grounding in some way and then allowing that to be there in that space. If I have a chance and it's intense, uh, taking it for a walk. And in particular, remember, this is anger is a kind of sympathetic activation. And its, its main job often is to, um, to activate the limbs. Because if you think about being a mammal, it's, it's really is a, it's a self-protective response. And that's to activate the limbs to protect ourselves. So when you're walking, what can be really helpful is to feel the musculature in the legs to be mindfulness of, of the, the muscles in the legs working and anything pleasant about that. So really taking these intense emotions in terms of this range of emotion for a walk. And I'm, I'm not recommending kind of a cathartic experience of trying to stop and scream. Because <laughs> actually that's not, a, that's not a being with. It's a kind of actually release that, that sometimes doesn't work so well. So really seeing if you can be mindful, especially of muscle, the, the, the muscle in the legs as you're walking. And if there's anything pleasant about it. And again, looking around in some kind of manner. And then of course, uh, to come back to the thing I always repeat, self-compassion. 
Oh, I'm having a hard time now. Maybe, I, maybe it's time for a cup of tea. A, a, a time to be out in nature in some way. Just to help modulate this. So this realm of anger to allow for an appropriate response. And these ways of, of coming into contact with it in a skillful way, like you could, like swimming in the water like that woman, so you can even go over the big waterfalls without drowning. Being able to ride the waves in some kind of manner, through touching it through direct experience, through using self-compassion. Feeling it in the body in all these ways, feeling sensation and simply being with the, the unfolding of sensation. Just to end with a, a short poem by Ryokan that I think expresses this. Ryokan, the, the Zen poet, he says, to find, to find the Buddhist way, drift east and west, come and go, entrusting yourself to the waves. Entrusting yourself to the ways, being able to, to move along with them and not drowning in them. So may our exploration in this arena lead to the liberation of all beings. Let's sit for uh, j- just a moment here. <laughs> 